Did you know that podcasting is the new gold rush? Companies like Apple, Google, and Amazon certainly know that it is, and that's why they're wanting more podcast shows from interesting and beautiful souls just like you. Christine Blasdale is the author of the number one Amazon bestseller, Your Amazing Itty Bitty Podcast Book, and she wants to help you get your very own podcast out into the world. So to book a free podcast strategy session with Christine, visit christineblasdale.com. Again, that's christineblasdale.com and schedule a consultation. And trust me, you'll be happy that you did. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Out of the Box with Christine. We are celebrating five years this week, so I'm super excited. And my guest today to help us celebrate, I guess you'd say, is Derek Van Ness. And Derek is a wealth strategist and founder of Big Life Financial. He's also the author of What Would the Rockefellers Do? How the Wealthy Get and Stay That Way and How You Can Too. And today we're going to be covering... Uh, wealth consciousness, abundance consciousness for the hmm, the entrepreneur who may be just getting started, but also how we can tap into that wealth abundance within us. So welcome to Out of the Box, Derek. I'm so happy to have you with us. Really excited to be here, Christine. This is going to be a, a really fun show today. Well, when we're talking about one of my favorite subjects, which is money and abundance and success. <laughs> <laughs> and um, as someone who for many years kind of dabbled in like the stock market and uh, never was a big winner, you know, never was a super duper winner. Um, I do remember someone saying never, never gamble and never do the stock market unless the money that you have is something that you're willing to lose. And so I approached it that way, but I've been looking at the stock market lately and going, what the heck is happening? So what the heck is happening, Derek, with the stocks? <laughs> well, it's it's really interesting. There is, I don't want to say it's like an unseen kind of uh, unforeseen thing, but the reality is there's, bottom line is there's a ton of money that just got pumped into our system, right? There are, I've seen this statistic a couple of times from reliable sources now, there are now 40% more dollars this year than there were one year ago. So where are all those dollars going, right? A lot of them are going into the stock market and real estate and a lot of other things. And it's kind of this self-perpetuating thing, but really what, what's happening in my opinion is the beginning of an inflationary period. Like if you look at the stock market during the eighties and we all, if you know much about history, the eighties was a very high time for inflation, high interest rates, high inflation. Um, that really pushed the stock market. It's not necessarily that the stocks are going up in real value. It's just that people have more dollars so the dollars are worth less. So if the stock is worth you know, $10 in old money, now it's maybe worth 12 or $14 uh, and that's pushing it up. So it looks like it's going up, but the real value of that money may not be going up as rapidly. And we, we haven't seen this trickle all the way down. So we're kind of in that in-between stage where the people on the front lines who got a lot of the PPP loans, the SBA loans, a lot of that extra, those big chunks of money, they still have it. So they're able to go out and do a lot of these things. It hasn't come down to real wages for like your regular employee yet. And so the regular employees haven't seen sort of the adjustment for that inflation yet, but it's, it's coming. So I actually think we're gonna see those prices continue to, to rise. And listen, I'm not 
I don't have a crystal ball. I'm not an investment advisor by trade. Uh, I'm a wealth strategist, so I don't like try and predict what's going to happen. But uh, the bottom line is more dollars means dollars are worth less, which means things cost more dollars, even if they're the same value they used to be. So I think that's part of what we're seeing right now. If we really looked at the real purchasing power of dollars, I've read, I'm, I don't, you know, I don't have the ability to do the true calculations on this, but that dollars over the past year have lost about 15% of their value. The stock market might've been up five or 10% last year for most people, unless you were in like the NASDAQ, but you, you may have actually lost money in real purchasing power. So it's, it's kind of an optical illusion that's going on right now, Christine, in my uh, opinion. I know I've no, I've noticed that cause I had, um, I had done a move to Australia and when I, well, and it was right when COVID hit. So the borders, everything closed. But when I first got yeah. here, the dollar versus the Australian dollar, US dollar versus the Australian dollar, I was like, holy moly, I could, you know, I could transfer this money and get like a, I mean, a huge rate of return. And, but Australia wasn't taking US dollar. They were like, no, <laughs> no, no. So, really? Wow. Yeah, no, you couldn't get it exchanged. And so I was holding on to him. And so like, I mean, 5,000 US would be at that time close to like 9,000 Australian, but they were like, no, we're not going to do that. We're not going to buy your dollars. And then later now, recently, the US dollar is still higher than Australian dollar, but nowhere near that. So <laughs> darn. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but the, the, the economies, I mean, the U.S. has taken a major hit in in the economy, uh, in the brick and mortar economy. Would you say, um, and businesses mm -hmm. getting hit uh, financially with that, with layoffs and and all of that? Um, do you see that as right now as a wealth strategist? Do you see people? Um, I, I know that there's there's folks that are hurting, but do you see people doing things mm -hmm. differently with their money, with their investments, with their savings? Well, what I do see is um, we have a world of haves and have-nots right now, right? Like those brick-and-mortar people who got hit really hard, they're calling it like a K-shaped recovery. If you're on the bottom part, you're going down, yes. right? Like you're a restaurant, you work at a gym, these kinds of industries that have really been, hospitality that have really been hit, those people it's just getting worse for over time. Um, then the other side of it is the the people who have money, there's there's more opportunity. So what I really have seen is a lot of my business owners, because that's primarily who I work with, uh, a lot of them have a ton of extra cash. So what they're trying to figure out is what should I be doing with my money? Is a recession coming? Should I be sitting on cash? Should I take this and put it into assets? Because we're going to see inflation. The stock market's going crazy. Bitcoin's going crazy. Real estate's going crazy. Should I be buying these things or should I wait for them to come back to earth? That's where a lot of the conversations happening for people is they're like, I have the money. I'm just not quite sure what to do with it because we're seeing something we've never seen before. We're in the middle of a pandemic, but it appears as though we're in an economic surge. Like that doesn't really compute. So I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop. What's going on here? And I think that's where a lot of people are. They're just kind of holding their money and waiting to see how things shake out. I mean, they're, they're dabbling, they're doing things, but a lot of people aren't really sure. So they're just hanging on to their cash is, is mostly what I see right now. Um, and because the show is all, it's about consciousness and, uh, sure. <laughs> I, I find that a lot of, um, my fellow conscious seekers, um, uh, folks who are 
master healers and 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 spirituality gurus um there's this thought that and i believe that's the old mindset that anything that has to do with money and this isn't the old program that we have had maybe we heard it from our grandparents money is the root of all evil um i you have to mm -hmm. work really hard in order to be successful there's we have some odd mindsets uh and beliefs sure. about around around money and wealth can you can you talk about that a little bit because again a, a lot of my fellow spirituality seekers and conscious folk have an issue with money have an issue charging people even what they're worth <laughs> but uh talk about that a little bit if you don't mind yeah so so money obviously is supercharged because it's it's very important right like whether you like money or not you you kind of need it to function in society today and and do the things you want to do some people that i know who are in the you know the conscious communities like they, they think of money as a form of energy right like it's sort of like you gave value and now you've got some energy and you can choose to use that and dissipate that wherever you want um but there's no question that there's a lot of guilt about around it and it kind of makes sense when you think about the history of humanity there's usually been a couple of people with a lot and a bunch of people with not so much right like that's just sort of the nature of the of the beast and you find that with a, a lot of things that's sort of just a natural distribution we, we try and balance that out as much as we can but naturally a handful of, of people usually rise to the top so it makes sense that this group down here especially historically would feel taken advantage of and that they they're being kept down unnaturally and in, in in history i mean i think that's less now than in a lot of times in history but historically that's been the case yeah. right there's been a lot of barriers to entry a lot of things to keep the poor people poor and the rich people rich so it makes sense that what was passed down to us was that money is evil it's been it's been gotten through coercion through manipulation through power brokering uh, through all these artificial means that weren't necessarily tied to true value creation. Uh, I feel like some of that's been blurred a little bit, but the reality is money doesn't make people good or bad because some of the richest people in the world make the biggest impact, right? In a positive direction, I think of money more as a magnifying glass. And so this is your chance to look in the mirror and determine who, who am I really? Like if I had unlimited resources, or, or much greater resources, because unlimited can be <laughs> kind of corrupting for some people. <laughs> but, right. but if I had much greater resources, like who, who would I actually be? Would I be more generous or would I be more of a jerk? Is it just more of a license to take advantage of the situation? Or is it a, a license to have greater impact? I think a lot of people um, who are seekers, honestly, okay, so I'm, I'm in the seeker world. I have a ton of friends who are coaches. So I'm just going to speak from my experiences here. This doesn't make anything true, but but a lot of people have trouble with money. It's a worthiness thing, right? They're looking for the truth. They're looking to connect. They're looking to get there. And because they subconsciously don't have this worthiness, they kind of subconsciously they're they're sabotaging themselves and thinking that they they don't deserve the money. And so it's easy to kind of vilify others and look at other people. But truly, if we look at what I'm doing in the world has massive impact, makes such a massive difference with people. Why, why would it be a problem for those people to compensate us for that, right? They're giving us $5,000, but they're getting $100,000 worth of value. Why, why would that be a bad thing, right? So I think a lot of that comes down to worthiness. I've struggled with it at, at certain times in my life where I really got punched in the face or like 
some of the bubble that I was living in got popped around, you know, how I, how I saw the world. So I totally get that. I had times where it was really difficult for me to charge people $50 an hour for me to be a coach when I was first getting started. And I've had clients who have paid me $2,500 or $2,500 multiple thousands of dollars per hour to work with me now. And I think a lot of it is in your own worthiness. I mean, people don't want to hear that, but that's just been my experience because the people who really know their value, they know they're great. They've seen the contribution they can make. They don't usually have a problem with letting people pay them. Well, it's that, um, it's, it's been bantied about quite a bit. I've seen it on a lot of the Facebook groups that I'm involved in is the idea of an imposter syndrome where, Mm -hmm. and that's, and I believe that that's the subconscious, that's still the subconscious mind um, from those old beliefs of when we were kids, you know, all somebody has to do is when you're in kindergarten, have somebody on the school ground say, you know, you're stupid or what, you know, you're, you're a dummy or, and we can take those things, but it's also those beliefs that have been handed down. I, uh, I believe that a lot of our beliefs around money and wealth come from our parents, because if they're, you know, if I I was a child of divorce, uh, a lot of the arguments was about money, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And what's the, like the number one reason why uh, people get divorced? I think infidelity is up there, but also it's about money and finances, how we have different ideas about, about money and we, people can argue about money. So I think those things are handed down, but I I do, I think you, I think you nailed it. I think that there is this um, belief and even with our, like our own children, we could, we can say, you deserve the best and you should go out and get the best. But when it comes to ourselves, sometimes we don't I know. think that we do, uh, that we don't think that we do deserve that. And the, the old adage of you must work hard in order to be successful, mm-hmm. I find that that's not true. I do work hard and I work condensed. I'm kind of like mm-hmm. that orange juice that you remember the condensed orange juice in the can and you have to add yeah. water. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I work extremely <laughs> intensely and condensedly. So I pack a lot in, but I found that it's not so much working harder to be successful. I find that you have mm-hmm. to work smarter, not harder. Yeah. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I call it, being busy versus being productive. Yeah. A lot of people are working really hard at a lot of stuff that doesn't really produce that much output, right? And so you you hear people all the time talk about the 80-20, right? 20% of your clients provide 80% of your income and all of that. There, you know, and, and that might be a bit of a cliche, but the truth is, I think most of us, and I've seen it in my own business where we get attached to an idea. Like I want to do a bunch of podcasts or I want to do a YouTube channel or some of these other things. And the truth is it might just be a vanity thing, right? It might, or it might be that we want to spread the word, but it doesn't lead to the bottom line. And that's okay. As long as you call it what it is, this is something I enjoy. This is a hobby. But if you're like, this is my revenue stream and it's not, it's fooling you. Right. And I've seen people who have try and do group coaching when they're doing personal coaching one-on-one and all the money's coming from the one-on-one they're, they're wasting their time with the group coaching or vice versa. They're trying to get one-on-one clients, but they're making all their money in group coaching. Um, you just gotta be honest with yourself. And I think the difference between working hard and, and, and following your passion is just how much do you care about what you're doing? 
right? Because like if, if you align your money with like who I'm here to be as a human being, it's not it's not hard work anymore. Now it's just like this is what I'm doing with my life. It's playtime. Right? And I, I think there's <laughs> yeah, it's totally playtime versus effort time, right? And I think of it as efforting versus allowing. And as often as we can be in allowing, and listen, nobody can be in it all the time, right? Certain, even great at the greatest business and everything have their tough things you got to deal with. You got to deal with taxes and accounting and a lot of the financial stuff that I help people with. But, but you, for the most part, you should be in a state in a perfect world of doing something that you think matters and that you're passionate about, you care about, and that you would do, even if there wasn't much money, then you're going to be really great at it. And it's not going to be efforting nearly as much as it's going to be just like being who you are as a person. And I think that's kind of the difference. And that's the misnomer around hard work. Well, and it's also, it's being in the flow. I have, well, with, with the coaching that I do, um, especially the clients that I have for podcast coaching, um, Mm -hmm. I always ask them that question. Why do you want a podcast? And they'll kind of look at you like, well, uh, why are you asking me this question? But there are people that it's solely for like a legacy. I've got some clients that are in their seventies and eighty. I there's one woman that's ninety that wants to do a podcast, and and so my question is always why, and they want to, a, sure. a lot of them want to share their wisdom. It's not it's not a mechanism. It's not a business. And then yeah, there are those. Totally makes sense. Then there's the others who are panicking a bit because their their income has dried up due to covid they got laid off Mm -hmm. and now they're having to Mm -hmm. rethink and create their own their own business and they're thinking that if they create a podcast the money is going to flow it's going to come in and i always say a podcast is just a channel right it's Mm -hmm. you're you're self-publishing you're it's like your own tv or radio show and you can use it to be a business builder, but it's not necessarily going to be your business unless you're like Joe Rogan and you got, you know, millions of downloads and ads and all of that stuff. So I always ask people, yeah, in the beginning, why do you want this? And, um, and then we'll take it from there. But when they do it from something that they're number one, that they know, like the back of their hand, so I know mm-hmm. podcast and radio and interviewing, and I can teach that till the sun comes down, up, down, whatever. I can, I can do that <laughs> so easily with my eyes closed, right? I can do that easy. So that's the low hanging fruit for me. And that's why I wrote a book on it. And cause I could talk about it all day. So it's fun and it's easy. And when you find that thing, whatever it is in life that you do, you do it well, you love it. Then when you offer that to other people, it's not work. It's, it's fun. It's playtime. As we were saying, it's fun. Absolutely. And I, I tell people like, you know, if you, if you would do it, if there was no money in it, that's a really, really good sign. Like at one point I was, I was coaching a lot of people and working with them on their financial stuff. And then I had a house flipping background. I flipped about 150 houses, like pre 2008 And then I went back into house flipping and I found myself, even though I was flipping houses, coaching people for free. Like I wanted to work with them on their business, on their financial stuff, on their marketing. And that was a sign to me that like, hey, you're really more interested in people than you are in houses. Maybe you should come back to that. And so I I made that transition back uh, full time into, into this in like 2015. 
but uh, yeah, that that was a real indicator to me because it wasn't about the money, and I didn't even realize it until I stopped and looked, and I was like, oh wow, I'm still doing the stuff. I'm just not getting paid for it. Like that's how important it is to me. Exactly, and that also says a, a lot about you, Derek, about your integrity and that energy that you have. There, people. Um, and this is anybody that listens to the show understands energy. That energy that you have uh -huh. is your integrity and your authenticity. And you're sending out little, I hate to do an Abraham Hicks thing, but little okay. rockets, instead of rockets of desire, it's rockets of energy that, that you, 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 you work from, from your heart and your intention is good. And that's going to attract the clients and the people that need you most and that resonate mm -hmm. with that. Now there are, you know, I'm sure there's lots of other wealth strategists and financial um, folks that have, you know, a lot of, of clients, you know, even globally, and that's not their intention. Their intention is to make money, is to make money off of their clients. And sure. yes, that's of course, because we live in this world, a material world, we do want to make, we would do want to earn a decent living, but that's not your main focus and goal. And so that energy just, the universe just replies to that, I think, in, in, in kind. <laughs> I, I found that to be true, really. Like one of the things that is part of our, our in, integrity of our, of our business is, you know, our, our number one value is integrity, which to me means always do the right thing, right? Yeah. So if you always do the right thing, I just find that it comes around. I get more clients by saying no to someone because they're not the right fit or telling them, hey, you need to go work on these other things before we work together because it would be the wrong thing for you to do this, this thing or work with us at this point. Um, and those people become some of my biggest referral people because they get that it's not just about the money. It's about helping people. Certainly, you have to get compensated, right? And there's a lot of people who have trouble with that. Thankfully, because I went through some of that uh, at one point. I like had, I was like a multimillionaire and then I like lost everything in the 2008 crash because I was a house flipper. Uh, and it took a while to kind of rebuild my confidence and everything because I was like, holy cow, I failed and all these, these kinds of stories that I told myself. But I was very committed to the fact that if I'm going to make money, I need to make money in a way that helps people, genuinely helps people. Otherwise, I'm just, it's not going to be worth it to do it. You have to put so much energy into it. You may as well really care about and believe in what you do. And for me, when it's about the money, I, as bad as this is to say, like I'm human, my greed glands swell up, right? And I lose all my power. And when I just stop treating people like a paycheck and I just treat them like human beings, like I would my parents or my sister or my best friend, and I level with them and I do my best to just share what I believe with them, um, it always works out. And some clients I make you know, a couple hundred bucks on and some clients I make $50,000 working with it. I just try not to treat them differently. I don't even like run the numbers ever on commissions or how much I'm going to make for a client or anything. I just focus on doing the right thing. I block all that part out and it keeps me from going into that sort of mental space. I get to stay a little bit more in the flow, like you were talking about, of just doing the right thing and listening and, and really just being present with people. That seems to work for me. So I just, I've just done my best to stay in that lane. Well, and the universe responds, you know, the, the, that's the thing is that uh, greed 
has an energy it's it on its own and when you have that compassion yeah. and you have that integrity coming from your heart um the universe hears it and i i believe i believe that and it's and it's not so much karma the way that we think of it but i do believe that energy it's a very fast cycle right now <laughs> mm -hmm. Can so, be, yeah 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 you know what i'm saying so um recently i uh, recently something happened in my life where many people would consider it a uh, a setback or oh that's horrible that that happened to you and at first when it happened because it, it's it was change okay it was a big change in my mm -hmm. life at first when it happened those little those that little uh, it's not a devil and an angel thing but that little voice was like yeah, this sucks. Oh my gosh, fear, fear, fear. What are you gonna do? How are you gonna live? Right. Um, yeah. You're gonna be homeless. I mean, <laughs> whatever, it goes to the extreme. And it just popped of up course. for a second. Yeah. And I said, oh no, no, no. I said, this is actually clearing space for me to do what I'm really probably supposed to do right now. And I completely flipped the script and put the energy also folks just so you know i'm going to be talking directly to you your energy people can feel it if you're desperate if you're um if you have anxiety around money or you you're you, you, a job and you're desperate it smells and people can feel it and taste it so i just mm -hmm. flipped the script on it and i said you know what this is wonderful this is the best thing that's ever happened to me because now i'll be able to do really what my soul's purpose is don't know exactly what that is but i have an idea and since i had that the last month amazing things have happened amazing things have happened so it's so much of how we look at things and look at situations that happen our reaction to them right absolutely i mean the loss of one thing means you've created space for something else right yeah. and so if you've if you've lost that it's sort of the cliche of one door closes and other opens but the reality is like your life the totality of it the, the space and energy you have is 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 what it is and so if some of that gets cleared out you've got room to create anything you want from that and i think when we stay in that mode of okay this thing happened to me and get into acceptance of what is like i think where we get in trouble is we're like oh that shouldn't have happened to me i don't want that to be true i'm in denial about it why me like all of those things well, the, the adage I learned from one of my mentors was um, all discontent is the non-acceptance of what is. As soon as you get in state of, okay, that's no longer happening for me. That relationship, that job, that business income stream, whatever is no longer there. Okay, well, that sucks. I can let go of that. How do I move forward from here? What do I want to create with this extra time, resources, energy, whatever that I have? and you just get to the business of that, it's just when we stay in the state of, okay, it's gone, but I don't want it to be gone. I wish it was still here. Why did that happen? And trying to rework all, all of that history, we get stuck in that. And some people stay in that for years yeah. and they can't move forward until they make, like reconcile it and come to acceptance. Then they can let go, go and move forward powerfully. And for me, that's been a really vital uh, insight because listen, I've taken my fair share of you know, punches to the nose. And once you realize, okay, I got punched in the nose and that really hurt, but now I can get on with my life. So let's do that. And uh, it might sound a little stoic at times, but 
for me, I found it to be very, uh, very encouraging, very powerful because I just, I can look to the future. I can create what I want. I see it as an opportunity, like you said. So exactly. yeah, I'm, I'm with you. So now that we've talked about the, the consciousness of, of wealth and how we look at creating it, let's get to the, let's get to the material world, shall we? Let's talk about, um, <laughs> because uh, this is the thing too, is that for, for folks that are just, you know, starting off and maybe they have a little bit of money and they don't know mm -hmm. what to do with it. I know we're not going to, we're not going to be basically asking you for financial advice and anybody watching this, this is, we're just talking let, let's just say that Derek is just talking to me. Okay. <laughs> but we're just talking about yeah, yeah. Um, some, some good things to do uh, with those resources, maybe to help us in the future, but things that are, that are happening right now. Um, I know mm -hmm. that you had mentioned that you had purchased investment properties and mm -hmm. uh, quite a few of them and, and, mm -hmm. and did really yeah. extremely well. What do you think about the, uh, current status of real estate right now? Well, they're in the United States. And then, I mean, uh, you know, it, it's a global <clears throat> issue. It's a global, um, uh, concept of real estate, but what do you think about that right now? The market of real estate? Yeah. So I, I don't know much about outside of the U S but here in the United States, what we're seeing is there's a bit of a housing shortage, right? You have a lot of people, a lot of demand for housing and we, we already had the demand, but then interest rates went way down They're They're basically went to zero, right? From the fed, which means the fed is where people banks borrow money. So if banks can borrow it for zero, they can lend it to you a lot cheaper and still make their profit margin, right? If the fed's charging 4%, they got to charge a little more than that to you so that they can make their profit. So basically the fed went to zero. So banks came down as far as they could to be competitive. And I truly don't think we've actually caught up with that. If you know anything about real estate, you know that to sell your property for, uh, if you want to sell your property, you can only get as much as maybe just a little bit more than your neighbor just sold for, right? They call those comparable properties. And so what happens is you can't just go from, okay, houses are selling for $300,000 in this neighborhood to 500,000 overnight. Even if people would be willing to pay that, the bank won't lend to that because they're like, there's no proof that it's worth it. So you kind of have to go from 300 to 310 to 320 to 330. And each one of those houses takes, you know, 30 to 60 days to close. So interest rates dropped about six months ago significantly. And so I think we haven't had a chance for those cycles to go through because what happens when interest rates go down is your $2,000 a month payment used to buy a $400,000 house, but now it buys a $550,000 house. People don't buy houses based on the cost of the house. They base it on the monthly payment right? How much can I afford monthly? That determines the value of the house. So we just basically said, well, your whatever payment you can afford now just buys a bigger house. So all the value of houses went up, but the appraisers and the banks wouldn't lend on them. So we're kind of still playing catch up in that, I believe. The second thing that's coming is all this inflation we talked about earlier. A lot of people have a lot of money for down payments. And, and that's the big, for a lot of people, that's the big thing to buy a house is you got to get together the money for the down payment, not so much the monthly payment. Like in a lot of places, you can rent, you can buy a house for less than you would rent an apartment that's not as good. It's just you got to come up with the thirty, fifty, hundred thousand dollars down to get into it. So that's what kind of gets people over that hump. Right now, there's big chunks of money being pushed around 
So there's a lot more people buying. So I think both of those are pushing the value of real estate right now. And I think as we get into this inflationary period, and listen, this is my own, you know, my own speculation, but I think as the dollars are worth less, it's going to push the houses even higher. So I think even though it feels like we should have had a correction, the $5 trillion that have gotten pumped into the U.S. economy is, is pumping that up right now. And I don't think it's going to stop. I think it's going to take a couple of years to really like matriculate through and for everything to balance out. So I think for the next two to three years, we're going to see a continued uptick both in the stock market and in real estate. I could be totally wrong, but just the supply and demand economic side of me says there's not really any other way it can go down. Even if demand just stayed the same, the prices would skyrocket. And if, if demand goes down a little bit, okay, maybe that curve slows down a little bit, but I think it's still going to continue to rise. I can even see a scenario, and this is just me like thinking wild west here, but I'll just throw it out there, uh, that if we had a crash, but we simultaneously have inflation, what that would look like is a flattening of the market, not a dip, because the, the dollars are getting worth less and less and less, but the price value stayed the same, which really means it's going down in value. It just doesn't look like it when you look at the chart. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so I think yeah. we might have an invisible correction in the future where that correction looks more like a flattening than it does a dip, but the real value is going to be like of the stocks and everything is going to be decreased because the dollars are worth less. Exactly. So it's going to be a, a really interesting thing. I could be totally wrong, but that's kind of what I see as potentially happening. Well, and also what I, what I've seen too, because I have, um, well, I'm married to a real estate agent here in Australia, but okay. also I have friends that are agents in, uh, California and in particular in Ventura, what I've seen mm -hmm. because, and this is really because of COVID is people are leaving, they're fleeing the densely populated cities metropolises as they are where yeah. people used to go for work right people used to live there and they would pay a lot of money in rent um or if they were able to buy a house they would pay a lot of money for a house but it's densely populated and so they're leaving and they're going to the coast they're going to um they're they're, they're fleeing to areas where it's not so populated and perhaps they could get a little bit more bang for their buck. What's happened mm -hmm. is that the housing prices in those areas have shot up because yeah. it's supply and demand. How many houses can you build, you know, and especially like in a sleepy beach town, you know, you can't, you right? can't. So, um, so there's a huge surge in the, the values of those homes that are there because there's just not, there's, not that many to go around but that's what um that's what i've been getting hearing on the ground as well and here yeah. in australia it's it's roughly the same thing people are leaving sydney and sydney's one of the most costliest places to live it's so expensive um housing is ridiculous um a tiny little studio apartment is you know it's just it's like new york or tokyo i think but they're leaving they're they're, they're leaving in droves, um, coming to quieter uh, places, less people. Yeah, I've seen it happening. I have a lot of clients who lived in New York City, and now they're like out in the Jersey Shore or the suburbs and, and have moved out to some of those places. So I think it's definitely happening. And there's just a reshuffling in general, Christine, because 
I think it was already happening where a lot of people were working remote. And when you don't have to deal with the commute further out, then it becomes more appealing to live further out, right? Especially people with families, like people who are young and single or go out a lot, they want to be where the action is and some of that. So there's always going to be some demand for that. But they were also competing with a lot of families where mom and dad don't want to have an hour and a half commute each way into Los Angeles. So they, they, now they can move further out because they don't have to worry about the commute. And I've, I've even heard that like in places, and I don't know much about this, but places like Montana, they've seen a big surge of people moving there because if you don't have to come into work, why pay San Francisco prices? Go live in Montana in the mountains, right? On a ranch or something for one-tenth as much money and twice as much land and a bunch of other things. And depending on where you're at in life, that's appealing to certain people. So I do think we're going to see a reshift on a lot of those types of things as people work remote. And I think, like you said, COVID didn't start this. It just, I think it accelerated it 10 years. Yes. Well, and also the amount of entrepreneurs. I've noticed in the last five years, an explosion of entrepreneurs who, you know, they, yeah, they can work from home. And a lot of women, especially mm-hmm. um, moms, uh, you know, women with children yeah, um, and women who also have done the they did the corporate thing. They did the, you know, uh, they were an employee for many years and they're now just branching out on their own and they can do that from home. So they don't need to do that commute. That's why public radio, that's why radio is suffering because nobody's doing There's not as many people doing that commute and radio is terrestrial radio is it's all that channel surfing during those drive times. So yeah. um, radio across, across the country in the U S especially, um, even big, you know, public radio networks are suffering because there's not that many people. Also, there's this thing called podcasting <laughs> and YouTube and people are getting their information. Um, they're, they're honing in on what they want and getting it instead of having it be fed to them. You know, I'll tune in and hear, oh, okay, I don't like that. Okay. I'll tune back in. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing what's happened. So many different industries have, have, have been um, hit by it, impacted, and yet also people are adapting and now working more, more and more from home. Um, I would be remiss yeah. if I didn't say for, uh, for your clients, for the people that you work with, what are some, gen- and they can be general, what are some general mm-hmm tips um when it comes to wealth building would you would you suggest for people just a a, like a tick list of things again you don't have to get too specific and we're going to give out your information so people who want to have a consultation with you can but we'll give out all that information on the show and have it in the show notes somewhere in here they can click on it but what are some what are some top tips from you derek Okay, so I'm going to say a couple of things that are going to surprise you. The first thing I think, especially you were talking about like people who are just getting started, like how do we, you know, how do we, what do we do if I've got a little bit of money to invest? I truly believe the first thing you should invest in is your skill set and your relationships, mm-hmm. right? Specialized training so that you're really, really good at things. Because what that allows you to do is earn more money. Even if you're in a job, if you can get really good at something that's going to get you promoted, get you a pay raise get you onto projects that are going to build your skill set even further so you can get that next job. Like, I think that's the, the no brainer, lowest risk, highest return thing you can do. Okay. So that's the first thing. 
Um, if you're a business owner, hopefully you're already doing that. But relationships are the same thing. Building good relationships with smart people who are in your industry uh, or complementary industries is massive. Uh, no matter what industry you're in, having other people who are running around in your circle who know, like, and care about you is incredibly valuable. It will open the doors up to so many things. So I think if you invest in those two things like that, nobody ever talks about it. You know why? I don't make any money if you do that. Nobody makes any money <laughs> by telling you invest in yourself, right? Except for coaches who sell the, the you know, the, the training. But it's so true. That. It's so true. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So, so that's the first thing. Yes. Uh, the second thing I would say is um, if, you're, if you're being successful and you're making some good money, taxes are very expensive. I spend so much time helping people save money on taxes. And if you have like certain types of uh, businesses, if you have a tech business, a construction business, uh, uh, anything related to medical or engineering or whatever, we help a lot of businesses get research and development credits back. These guys are getting between 20 and $100,000 back on a three-year look back. It's just all free money. Uh, tons of people don't understand how to write things off. There's five or six people that, five or six things that almost anybody can do, learning how to pay your kids out of your, your business, how to rent your home out using something called the Augusta rule. If you own commercial real estate, there's something called cost segregation and bonus depreciation. There's like a ton of these things that every one of them, they're not like silver bullets. It's like five or 10 grand here, five or 10 grand there, five or 10 grand here that you're saving, but it really adds up. And most people are just totally missing it. Another big one is if you're paying yourself out of your business and you're paying all salary, you should be taking a lot of that income more than likely as dividends. Um, and, and you'll talk to your CPA about that to make sure that's the right choice for you. But what you do pay yourself in dividends, you save the self-employment tax. So that's seven and a half percent less you pay on those dollars, which if you're like a dentist and you make $250,000 and you pay yourself a salary of a, a hundred, you take 150,000 as, as uh, dividends, like that's going to save you over 10 grand in taxes. So it's, it's a pretty big deal. Um, and, and so that's the second thing is make sure you're not overpaying in taxes because it can get really egregious, especially in the Californias and the New Yorks and some of these high income tax states. Yes. In California, if you're in the top income bracket, you're paying 49% taxes. So it's, it's serious. Uh, and then the third thing I would say is, uh, I think, so I would put investing in your business with investing in yourself. The, the third thing that's kind of unorthodox that I would say is if you've got credit card debt, it sounds crazy, but paying down credit card debt is a guaranteed 12, 17, 29%, whatever you're paying on that credit card, it's a guaranteed rate of return. There's zero risk. It's absolutely money that's going to stay in your account. Sure, it doesn't come in as an income stream, but it also doesn't go out the trap door, right? So closing up the trap doors where all that money's flowing out of your account is the same as earning new dollars on the front end. So those, those three things are like, nobody talks about them. Super, super, super valuable investments uh, in good tax strategy, paying off credit cards and investing in your skill set and relationships. And then once you get beyond that, um, my rules for investing your money, because it's going to be different for everybody, is invest in things you know about. Because when you know about stuff, your chances of success are way better. Yeah. Things you care about. We talked about this earlier, but like when you care about stuff, you pay attention, you put energy into it, you put, put uh, a lot of things into it so your outcomes are way better. And things you have some degree of control over. A lot of people who are like stuck in the stock market and I'm for business owners, I'm not a huge fan of the stock market unless you're a professional investor, right? 
because most people don't know anything about it. They don't care unless they have money in there and they have zero control. If the market crashes tomorrow, and I think everyone got a taste of this about a year ago, if the market crashes, what do you do? You got two choices. You either sell and guarantee those losses or you write it out and hope it comes back up. Neither one of those is empowering you as a human being. Not right? at all. So much, <laughs> yeah. So much of my barometer when people say, should I do this or should I do that? I ask them, how does it make you feel? Everybody talks about return on investment. Nobody talks about return on emotion. What's the whole point of money? To increase your emotions and your quality of life. If more money equals lower quality of life and lower emotional happiness, impact, feelings, it's a bad trade. The whole reason you want money is for that fulfillment, that satisfaction, that happiness, whatever it is. If it's taking you the other direction to have more dollars in the bank, don't do it. Don't do it. It's a bad trade. You're doing the wrong thing, in my opinion. So, uh, yeah, so we, we teach a system called the money maximization model, which helps people to build up money in a place where it always goes up and it's tax efficient. So they can build it up without it burning a hole in their pocket. And then they can take it and either deploy it into these investments when they, once they figure out something that they know about, care about, and control. And if you don't know what you want to invest in, figure out what would be really exciting for you to invest in, and then invest in your education. Get good at it. Learn how to invest in real estate. Learn how to trade stocks. Learn how gold and silver works. Learn about crypto. Learn about whatever it is you want to do. Learn about it. Then you can be a good investor. You'll have, you'll know about it. You already care about it and you'll have some degree of control. Now you can go like headlong into that with your eyes wide open, get way, way, way better results. If you want to keep risk low and get high rates of return, that's what it comes down to. You have to inject human capital into it. When you bring your, your skills, your experience, your passion, your connections into a deal, that's the difference. If you're just putting money into a bucket that anybody can put money into and has no control over, to get a high rate of return, you probably have to take a bunch of risk. That's a bad, that's a bad formula. You really want to do things where you can bring something to the table. And you want to invest in a wealth strategist like Derek or a <laughs> podcast coach like me. That's, that's right. <laughs> no, but the, the idea a big is, difference. is upskilling. And right now is the perfect opportunity, the perfect time to upskill. I myself have a coach. I'm a coach, but I have a coach. And, and I know, and I'm sure you me do too. as well, because there's always things that we can learn. And I love learning. I love growing and adapting and expanding my synapses, but also expanding what I can do and offer to people because we each have that signature energy that we can, we can give to people in our expertise, uh, in our field. And I just think it's a, it is a really important thing. And I love that you said that that was the number one tip, investing in yourself and upskilling, get that education that you need to go to the next level. And if it's, if you're an entrepreneur and you're just, and you're just starting out, even maybe it's just even learning how to, how to shoot videos and, and how to edit them and do it yourself type stuff, just so that you can have a little bit of control and get out there. And that's my whole thing is I always tell people if you're not going to get found by new clients or new customers, if you're in your basement or in your mom's basement. <laughs> and, you know, you've got to get out there. And so that's why um, it was so lovely to see you and to see you're out on YouTube. Um, I want to make sure that we'll put links to your YouTube channel because it's great. It's brilliant. If our, our listeners and our viewers want more information 
on my guest today, Derek Van Ness. They can go to biglifefinancial.com. That's biglifefinancial.com. We'll have a link in the show notes so you can just click on it and go. And also we'll have a link, if you like, I'll have a link to your YouTube channel as well. Um, because like I said, I really enjoy uh, those, the videos that you post. And if there's any, any last thoughts before we head out for today, any, anything else that you want to let our listeners and viewers know, just, uh, just go ahead. You know, I think the thing I would say around finances and money is, uh, is really that don't let anybody convince you that they know how to do better with the, with your money than you do, right? You can work with coaches and everything, but like, you're smart enough, you're capable enough. If you're listening to this show or you're any type of business owner, you've got what it takes to be able to, to do the right things with your own money and make some decisions. It doesn't mean not to use professionals, but ultimately, you know what's right for you. Anybody who's telling you that this is the only way is not thinking about you. Focus on what do I know about? What do I care about? What do I control? What do I want to see continue to exist in the world? Because when you invest your dollars in things, they continue to grow and flourish just like energy, right? And if you don't, they don't. So put your dollars in a place where it's going to grow and support and be involved with things that you think matter in the world. And I promise you'll build a life where your money and you, the life that you want to live are aligned as opposed to going the opposite direction. It makes a huge, huge difference in the experience of life. And generally it really impacts your success in a positive direction. So that's what I have. Thank you so much, Derek. Thank you so much again for joining us today on Out of the Box with Christine. Again, the website is biglifefinancial.com. You can check it out in the show notes. And um, uh, we, we, we need to have you come back because there's so many things that we can talk about. <laughs> I know we didn't even get into, we didn't even get into the whole really going into the taxes and um, sure. and building your own banking system. I didn't get to, to cover that. We didn't get to talk about good debt versus bad debt. We didn't get to talk about Airbnbs, but I, you're welcome back on the show at any time. Okay. Please come back. Thank you, Christine. And I will. I will. It'd be great. <laughs> thank you, darling. And thank you, wonderful listeners and viewers for tuning in today. Remember, you can find out more information about this podcast at outoftheboxwithchristine.com. We are celebrating five years. Yes, five years on air. Any podcast that goes past 10 minutes is a success. And so thank you so much for being a part of the success of the show. And if you want more, more information on me uh, and my coaching, you can go to christineblasdale.com. All those links will be in the show notes, but thank you so much again for tuning in. And if you don't want to miss another episode, you want to make sure you subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, Google, and also the YouTube channel. Um, that's where I love, because I love to see the comments in the YouTube channel. So please do subscribe and be notified of upcoming episodes. All right. Until next time, as I always say, remember to Think outside that damn box. Bye for now.